sometimes it's just time to go. And it's not good, bad. It just is. And for as long as you can get someone to contribute to the mission that you have, embrace that, value that. And when they feel like it's time to go on because you can't provide whatever it is that they're looking for, you now have an ambassador for your company. You now have an evangelist for your company and treat them that way. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever, and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm Meredith Bodkiss. Today, I have two esteemed guests, Kim Seymour and Jeff Wald. Kim is Chief People Officer of WW, formerly Weight Watchers. She has an MBA from Indiana University and a law degree from Vanderbilt. Prior to joining WW in March 2019, she spent 10 years at American Express. Jeff is the best-selling author of The End of Jobs, The Rise of On-Demand Workers and Agile Corporations. He's also a tech entrepreneur who sold one of his companies to ADP and holds an MBA from Harvard Business School and an MPA from Cornell. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Thank you for having us. No, we're thrilled to have you here. So your book, Jeff, included essays from 20 thought leaders on their vision of the world in 2040. The writer who most accurately predicts what 2040 will be like wins the $10 million Future of Work Prize. Whom do you think is most correct and why? That's a tough question. I mean, you're asking, you know, which of your children is the best looking? (laughs) That's what you're basically asking me. I will tell you this. Writing a book is really hard. And the idea that I could come up with a perfect vision of what the world of work would look like in 2040 is obviously laughable. And so getting people much smarter than me to give their thoughts was just a great way to finish this book out. And I was unbelievably excited that so many amazing leaders like Kim agreed to write their short essays in the world of work. I love the stuff that Kim wrote around the portability of benefits, around a saner world of work. I love the stuff that Gene Zeno wrote in a letter to his grandchildren. I can hope that the winner is not Andy Stern, the leader of the largest staffing union in the United States, which has a, who has a very dystopian view of the world. But I will say that the world of work is going to evolve in a lot of different ways. And I think that it's way too early to make any predictions. The book came out a little over a year ago. Is there anything that has already changed since its release? We had a slight global event that was not anticipated in the writing of the book. Whatever are you talking about? (laughs) I know. I know. It was this horrific pandemic. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. But the way COVID has impacted the world of work is vast. But it's way too early to tell, quite frankly, how COVID is going to impact the world of work going forward. We know how it impacted the world of work over the last year with this tech acceleration, the increase of digital meetings and remote work and distance We don't know what the snapback is going to be. We don't know if workers will go back to the office two days a week or three days a week. And the difference between that is massive, two days or three days, because two days, you're a remote worker, three days, you're a hybrid worker. 
different implications for taxes, different implications for infrastructure. But of all the changes, the notion of the remote workforce is the one we have the most clarity on. Remote work went from 3% of the workforce pre-pandemic to about 40% during the pandemic. And the data that I've seen and helped the ADP Research Institute craft shows that we will probably be at about 8% post-pandemic, but importantly, 33% in that flexible work environment. And it's important to context box that, which is 42% is the natural limit in the U.S. workforce that can work remote. So when we say 33% are going to be working flexibly, that's almost everybody that can. So very few people are going to be back in the office full-time, five days a week, nine to five. That is the most lasting change that has occurred over the last year. So I want to turn to Kim. And Jeff, you mentioned the portability of benefits. Kim, what did you mean by that? All of our infrastructure from a benefit standpoint, where you're talking about life insurance, health insurance, EAP, all of these things tend to be attached to a company. They're designed that way. They're designed that way because that's the way they've always been (laughs) designed. But when you talk about a different way of working, and I I would like to point out that in in my chapter of Jeff's book, I think I came the closest to predicting. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. But all of these things were, were created with an antiquated system in mind. So when you start thinking about what is to come, whether it is gig or whether it is just shorter tenure in general, We've got to start thinking about all of these things from a people point of view, not from a corporate point of view. But I do think that now as tenure continues to fluctuate and go more toward the shorter end of the the range, we're all going to have to think differently about how are we showing up for employees for the amount of time that they're with us and for when they're perhaps no longer with us. And I'm curious, do you think that shortening tenure is a good or a bad thing? And are you doing anything to counteract that at WW? One of my favorite phrases, it is what it is. I don't <laughs> think it's good or bad. It is what it is. I can come up with just as many good things for turnover and, and infusing with new ideas as I can with bad uh, reasons, like loss of institutional knowledge and not as much connection to the legacy or the mission or whatever it is. So it is what it is. What you need to understand is it's not stopping. Again, when I started out at GE, where I was also for 10 years, my parents were horrified that I left at 10 years. To them, you stay with who run you, that type of mentality. You work for one company, especially if it's a great company, as long as you can. Who is thinking that way anymore? Nobody. Most employees that we have now are thinking in terms of a collection of experiences. And as long as you are providing those experiences, as long as you are exciting them in the work that they're doing, then you can keep them for longer periods of time. But the minute they feel like there is something else out there for them that they can add to their toolkit, and especially if someone will pay them 10% more, then you are likely to lose them. So if you care about the engagement of your team and the sense of commitment and camaraderie and all of this, and we do, the sense of community, and WW is very big on sense of community, both internally and externally, then you try to craft solutions that 
make people want to stay. You think about engagement. You think about the makeup of jobs. You think about how to give them new experiences. You think about how to remove barriers that can be frustrating. And you think about that all the time. One of the mindsets that I had, even starting at American Express and continuing here, that I am trying to push out is this notion that sometimes it's just time to go. And it's not good, bad. It just is. And for as long as you can get someone to contribute to the mission that you have, embrace that, value that. And when they feel like it's time to go on because you can't provide whatever it is that they're looking for, you now have an ambassador for your company. You now have an evangelist for your company and treat them that way. That's really interesting because I don't think that companies are thinking about their ex-employees as ambassadors. What do you think they should be doing for those alumni to create that ambassadorship? Think about an exit kit or an ambassador kit. We sell subscriptions, Weight Watchers. In some instances, we will extend membership to them for free. We will make it so that they can have access to the app, which is award-winning, our meetings, keep them in the brand. Those things are important and they matter. If they were important enough to be in your team at the time, absent malfeasance, (laughs) why wouldn't you want them to continue to be in the brand? I have four American Express cards. Do I need four American Express cards? No. <laughs> no, I don't. But I adore that brand. I'm very close to a lot of the people there. I help the careers of a lot of the people there. And for that, I believe in it. And I will forever have American Express cards. So I want to talk about something else from your essay, which was that employees need to be constant learners and adapters. How do you hire for that? And how do you foster that among the employees you already have at WW? First of all, we talk a lot about the way our business has evolved. What is so different now than it was 60 years ago. And because we do, we make a a clear connection between some of the skill sets that we might need going forward that we didn't even think about 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So we are very focused, even within a pandemic on development at our high potential level and for all of our employees. We um, give them access to things like LinkedIn Learning and, and other things within the organization where they can continue to develop their skills. We are about to launch probably one of our most ambitious development programs for high potential senior leaders, which involves a, a team case study. You have to continue to do things like that, sharpen skill sets. But it doesn't have to be special like that. Feedback is one of the best ways to continue to learn. The way that we stay on top of how our talent is performing and the gaps we see between what we value and what is being delivered translates into feedback. And then that feedback translates into targeted solutions that help that person to overcome that. I think that the fact that we have that in our list of leadership behaviors proves how important it is to us. But it's not just a check the box for us. We really do focus on that quite a bit. So I've seen Lots of talk about digital transformation, specifically at American Express, specifically things that you worked on. 
How are you applying those lessons that you picked up about digital transformation from American Express to your work at WW? I think every company is now trying to reinvent themselves as as a, a tech company. And to a certain extent, I think they all should. Because if you're trying to meet consumers where they are, consumers are on their phone or consumers are on a computer, less face to face. Although I, I never think that in absolutes, it, it, there will always be room for, for both. But I, as I recall back at, at American Express, one of the first things that didn't work, in my opinion, uh, and I think other people would say that, so it's no denigration, the separateness of the cool tech stuff from the legacy business. I always thought that that was a mistake. So the lesson for that is make the case for why we all need to upskill, why we all need to get on board, why we all need to go in this direction. Because making the kind of haves and have nots or the in crowd and the out crowd is not helpful to the, the end mission. Make the case for why it is important for the entire enterprise, for our, all of our success, and then figure out a way to bring in people who are not necessarily tech people, but whose jobs, whose livelihoods are ultimately going to depend on us all getting this right. But the initial approach in a lot of companies of we're going digital and we got this, this special SWAT team over here and they're going to make it all happen. And you got the majority of your company over in the corner thinking, what about me? Or why should I care about this? Or being territorial or not being collaborative or actively putting obstacles in the way, that is not helpful to anyone. So the biggest lesson to me is how do you get everyone on that journey and on the path to digital, whatever that means for your company. I want to stick with technology here. And Jeff, I'm curious, what emerging technologies do you think will change the world of work the most? Well, before we jump into that, I hope your listeners can see why it is that WW is always considered one of the best places to work. It's because of people like Kim and Kim's leadership. That is just, I mean, everything she's saying is just spot on in terms of what people need to be doing to motivate, keep, and attract talent. And it's it's amazing. I'm going to pick up from a technology standpoint on something that Kim was talking about, which are the alumni labor clouds. This is something that very few companies do. There are about 60,000 companies in the world with greater than 1,000 employees, so therefore enough employees to want to keep in touch with former employees or need a system to do it. As Kim mentioned, when people walk out that door, they're walking out with institutional knowledge, process knowledge, customer knowledge, and you want a way to retain that. You want them to be ambassadors. You want them to be referrals. You want them to do all those things. And yet very few companies do it. Of the 60,000, there are about 450 that run formal alumni programs using software to do it. And so that is an emerging technology, something that we looked at and uh, ADP is building. Very, very exciting. But the, the broader answer, Meredith, is that it's difficult to have a broad answer. In the world of labor, when for those of us that study trends and labor statistics, it is very dangerous to paint with a broad brush. What works in one industry, one company, one job function may have zero applicability to another. The thing I would always say in regards to emerging technologies is their impact on labor is almost never what people suspect. People have this assumption, and we've come to enjoy very simple conclusions on things for a host of dangerous reasons in our work life and our political lives and whatever, but 
there aren't really simple answers. And the simple answer of, oh, this new technology exists, therefore this job is going to go, has almost never proven to be the case throughout history. And so what I would say with emerging technologies is be mindful of how they may impact the world of work, but really study how it's going to impact your company, your industry, the job functions within your space before you draw any conclusions. And just because it impacts some industries some ways does not impact, mean it's going to impact yours. I want to go back to the alumni labor cloud because that is such a fascinating concept. And you're right, not many companies are adopting that yet. What I wonder, though, is if an employee leaves to go to a competitive company, what should that competitive company do about their new employees participating in their ex-employers' efforts to grow their business? Those are very important questions as people build alumni labor clouds, and there are things that the software needs to take into account. Like, clearly, I don't want to be sharing things that shouldn't be in the public domain to anybody that isn't at my company anymore. And clearly, to the extent that there is a person at a competitor, I have to be very careful about what is shared with them and the back and forth that we have. But to me, that's that's just software, right? I, I will know where that person went. And the most important category of alumni, quite frankly, are those that have retired and are looking for ways to stay engaged. This is really a win-win. It gives that retired person a means to maybe some incremental income to come back as a consultant or an advisor. It gives that retired person a sense of connection and a sense of community to their former company. So it, it is really kind of the first step. But uh, someone going to a competitor is something that needs to be watched, obviously, very closely. So what I'm wondering is if companies are moving toward this movement of retaining relationships with those who have left the company, what about the new employers? Should they want to support their new employees in having a relationship with their former company? When I think about the relationship, I'm thinking more from a product consumer standpoint than I am a information sharing or strategy sharing. And the answer to the competitor question is absolutely not. But if someone is going to just the next rung on their life journey at any company, I don't understand why a company would necessarily object to that. People are 360 degree people. And that job is only one part of that. And to, I guess, resent any other part insert the soccer game or yoga class or whatever doesn't seem to be entirely rational. So I'm not quite sure why a company would, unless again, it's something that is, they are devoting a a ton of time to, or they're at a competitor. Other than that, I I don't think it's that big a deal. I'm going to jump into what Kim had said earlier. If your time is up, your time is up. And we would say that at work market, my last startup all the time, I'd say the only way you're going to upset me is if you just come and give me two weeks. Don't come and give me two weeks. Come and tell me, hey, I, I don't think that I'm growing. I don't think I'm achieving my goals anymore here. I think it's time for me to go. And I have helped innumerable employees get jobs at other companies. That is in my interest, right? I want them to Kim's point out there as ambassadors to say, you know what? I had a great time at work market. They helped me with my next thing. You should go work there to their friends and colleagues. Or you know what? Maybe I'll go back there in a couple of years. Those are the important things. This idea to Kim's main point in her chapter which is that you're moving more and more. If you're moving more and more, this antiquated notion of, oh, I can't talk to you because you're working at another place or, oh, hey, now that you work for me, don't talk to your other friends. That doesn't jive with where the world of work is going. At the base of it, let's just be honest, is people take it personal. 
they think it says something about them, about their company, you're dead to me. It's just ridiculous. Now, there are circumstances, of course. If you are were a horrible employee or gave me two days notice or, 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 but those are the, the, the 2%. Folks are on the 98%. There's no reason why it has to be antagonistic. It just doesn't have to be. Now, what I do prefer is not to be surprised, but that's a two-way street. That is a don't let your, your employee be surprised by your thoughts on their development or their goal achievement or their presence or their whatever, whatever. Don't let them be surprised. And in return, you probably won't be surprised when they come to you and say, you know what? I love it here. But when I look around at all the great talent, some of them very new in their jobs, I just don't see that next step for me. What am I missing? That's how I would have that conversation. There's a way to do anything. And when someone comes to me like that, I'm like, you know what? You're so right. You are so right. I know someone who's looking for blah, blah, blah. Is that something you're interested in? That is such great advice. And I think there is still this fear around employees having those conversations with their managers. What should managers be doing, Kim, to make their employees feel comfortable about being honest about their own growth? As a leader, you've got to understand none of this is about you. It can be about the company. It can be about your peers. It can be about your team. But the minute you start thinking that any of this is about you, you start acting in that way. But when you are a leader that is generous and open and transparent and interested in other people and curious about them, and you demonstrate that time and time again, Sometimes it's just having the conversation. Sometimes it's just starting the meeting, not with the tactical, not, you know, not with the procedural. It's clearing obstacles for them. It's having their back. It's looking out for them. It's dreaming bigger for them than they do for themselves. It's thing after thing after thing that leadership books for time immemorial have said. Do those things. I would just throw in this one quote that I think echoes what Kim is saying, which is, Nobody will care how much you know unless they know how much you care. If you're a manager and you're, you care about your people, then you won't be surprised and you won't have all the things that uh, you'll be able to do the things that Kim says. I feel like anyone who reports to either of you is very, very lucky. <laughs> Hybrid work is here. We are in the midst of figuring out how exactly it's going to work. But Kim, I'm interested in what is WW's take on how, when, and where its workforce should work? So I I will tell you, I am still stunned at how much airtime we are are devoting to this topic, but, but rightly so. It was not nearly as hard to get people out of the office as it is to bring them back in. But we have, as, as usual, we followed the science. And so we, we started kind of phase opening back in October, but we just recently rolled out the conclusion, the program that we're bringing everyone in WW under now. And we looked at what did we lose and what did we gain in the last year? What's the worst that can happen if we allow people to continue to benefit from the flexibility that they have gained in the last year. With that in mind, we whirled out a program, you know, in the spirit of WW, work from wherever. Now, that means that if you have a job that lends itself to remote work, 
and you are someone that works well in that construct, you can work forever. The commitments have to be the trust that you have to have with other people in your organization, the over-communication that has to happen. Frankly, the, the onus is on the employee to make it work. We've made it work with all the technology that we put in place. We've made it work with just allowing you to make the decision for yourself. Ultimately, though, it's going to depend on that output at the end. No longer are we going to make it a race of effort. You know, how, how late can you stay up? How much sweat on your brow? It never should have been that. And we hope it wasn't that. But it's going to be about output. And if you can tell me that you can deliver a great output, great result working in Idaho, Lord love you. Knock <laughs> yourself out and do that. But you might have to work on your leader's time frame, time scale. You'll work that out. But why would I want need to dictate to grown people how they deliver? I have example after example after example of how it can work and should work throughout the last year. Like I said, that being said, we'll monitor. We'll see how this goes. I do think that people miss each other. So that sense of community is not maintained and generated in this environment, I don't think. I think face-to-face is real and will continue to be real. We have a place for that. But we also know that I have people that's like, I want my kid to school now. I have people who say, I, I get back four hours a day in transit to New York City. You can't buy that. You cannot buy that. Now, in exchange for our generosity <laughs> in, this, in this route, I need output to remain at a certain standard. That is the only thing that matters at this point and our sense of community. As long as we can make that work, and we're going to have to teach leaders how to lead in this environment, some ticks, some, some tips, tools, solutions, that perhaps resources that perhaps they haven't thought about. That's okay. We gain so much from our people. I think 89% told us that they want to remain some version of remote. We can do that. We're a well-being company. Why wouldn't we do what supports their well-being? So work from wherever was born. You're practicing what you preach, and that is the ultimate for employees. So Jeff, what do you think team success in hybrid workplaces depends on? You are seeing and hearing in real time why WW is considered one of the best places to work. That was a textbookly perfect answer about how to adjust to this hybrid workforce, which is what is going to work for our people, but we need the output, right? This is not a one-way street. This is a conversation. When I talk to companies about hybrid workforces, and hybrid are going to mean not only flexible work arrangements, but hybrid team structures and hybrid engagement of different work classifications, movement to a little bit more gig type work and on-demand type labor. It means a lot of different things. But again, the campaign with a broad brush, what it means to your company may be very different than what it means to a company in your industry or a company in a different industry. But the most important variable in this equation, whether or not it's going to work, is a company's culture. Are you very clear with your team about who you are, why you're here, your mission statement, where you're going, that North Star, what you stand for, your values? Those to me are kind of your big four, who you are, why you're here, where you're going, and what you stand for. And then importantly, what are the policies and procedures that back all that up? 
Because if you don't have the policies and procedures to back it up, if you aren't doing the kinds of things that Kim and her team are doing, then they're just words on the wall. This was inspiring and eye-opening, and I can't thank you both enough for being with me today and sharing these future-forward, forward-looking predictions, but also what should be happening now and what managers and leaders should be doing for their teams now. So thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Meredith Bodkiss. You can find much more information about the talent economy on staffing.com and toptal.com slash insights, hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.